Welcome to The Journey of a Singer with me, your host, Nick Pritchard. This is the podcast where we dive into the fascinating and unique journeys of those individuals within the creative industry. In today's podcast, I got to talk with Britain's Got Talent winner and Calabro star Richard Hadfield. From Brighton busker to winner of Britain's Got Talent to England rugby national anthem singer, Richard has enjoyed a whirlwind career sharing the stage with some of his idols like Shirley Bassey, Tom Jones and Alfie Bow. In the podcast, Richard dives into his time with Calabro and tells us the real reason why he left the number one album-selling vocal harmony group. Richard tells us of his personal ambitions to release a new theatre-fused jazz album and also his struggles with a vocal hemorrhage in 2022. We also got the chance to bond over how playing rugby has helped us both in our musical journey. This was the first time that Richard and I have met and since filming the podcast, we've kept in touch and been to support each other's shows. At my last show, I invited Richard on stage for an unplanned song together. It was a moment of magic, and I'm going to start today's podcast by sharing a 30-second clip of that moment on stage. So sit back and enjoy the journey of a singer with today's guest, Richard Hadfield. Your level's good. Yeah, yeah, all good. And then about a fist, fist away, they say. Yeah, fist away. Fist away. <laughs> Keeps the dog. Yeah, fist yeah, away. yeah. I don't, I don't want to go down that uh, innuendo path. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's so good to have you on though, because genuinely, I've, I've actually been a fan of yours for a long time. Right. Genuinely. Really. And yeah, because um, I, I. I was a fan of Calabro to yeah. start off with. And then obviously I saw you doing the rugby and, and all that kind of yeah. thing. And I just felt like um, on paper we had a lot on, a lot in common in terms of interests and that yeah, kind of yeah. thing. So um, I just, I was always a big fan. And also that's quite rare because I don't know why I'm not really that, I'm not much of a fan of like celebrity idol type thing. Right. I don't tend to have like a... Uh, a, a real deep desire to follow someone or, or anything like same, that. Same vein. Yeah. It's like I don't. Re- there's not really many people I like. I go. Oh, I'm gonna follow that. Yeah. Um. I guess that was what the weirdest thing about doing Britain's Got Talent and all that kind of stuff is that I just didn't overnight. I just yeah. didn't get the people's interest in uh, yeah. that immediate interest. But some people are like love that. Yeah. Like they they throw themselves into that celebrity world and like we'll know where they are. We'll know what they're doing. Hundred percent. But, uh, not that I'm saying you're that <laughs> that guy for me. I am. Uh, to be honest, I kind of, I kind of am. I, yeah, I, I, I've been like a genuine fan, but also I think that you've got a rare voice where, for me, when I listen, I'm like, this guy is a sing, like he's destined to be a singer. That's what you should be doing with oh, your voice. Nice. Whereas, I hear a lot of people, and it's like they, they're they're a singer because they 
trained to be a singer or because like it's cool to be a singer mm. when i listen to your stuff i have like an emotional connection there and i'm like he's got to be a singer his voice is insane like your voice is genuinely <laughs> insane I've and been- um yeah no i've been i've been an, a fan for for a long time since the since the collabo days yeah since um, since the boy band walk forward yeah ours, yeah he yeah. changed everything <laughs> no it's brilliant honestly i loved i nice. loved all that stuff but so welcome to the journey of a singer yeah it's great to be in thanks for asking. pleasure just to start off with where did you first decide i want to be a singer like a professional singer this is going to be my job god damn when did i start thinking well i remember very much so when i was like a lot younger my mum and dad would hear me singing Barney the Dinosaur in the back of the car, like three, four, four years old. They'd be like, shut up, we need to do something about this. So they'd shove me in a Saturday school and it was um, down in Brighton. We did like an hour of singing, an hour of dance, an hour of drama. And I think from there, I just, I just loved it. I couldn't wait for school to finish on Friday because I knew I was going into a different kind of school on a Saturday, but I would absolutely love every single minute of it. And I think like that was the kind of time i think like probably like nine ten eleven i was like i want to do this for the rest of my life mm. um but i had the rugby as well which is sort Wait, of so what, what, when along. were you playing rugby at the same, oh, same yeah, at from the from same, a young age at the same time um it was quite it's quite bizarre actually because it's like I, I went i went to my school i had it was a, a private school, so but my mum and dad couldn't really afford it, so we had lots of scholarships and things like that. So I had like a singing, like a music scholarship, a drama scholarship, and a sports scholarship. So I was getting pulled in every which way at school, like trying to get me to do this, trying to get me to do that. And I remember one time we just finished playing rugby. I think it was like a semi final or something like that. I had this massive black eye, and I had to run over uh, to the theatre to be. Um, Nanky poo in the Mikado. So I'm like putting on all this makeup to try and cover up this massive black eye that I've just got playing prop uh, for Hurstby Point College. It, it was, um, yeah, it's it's always been sort of this back and forth uh, with sport and um, singing. But I think for me, yeah, I think I always loved performing in any capacity from probably around about nine, ten years old. Wow. It's really funny you were saying about the black eye thing as well, because I think you're the only person I know that is a professional singer that also did the rugby. Yeah, and um, I still play when I can. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna. <laughs> I, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into the into the rugby. But um, I was kind of the same. Where um, I actually wanted to use the rugby as a platform for the singing. I had this weird idea in my head that was like, mm. if I can do really good at rugby, then you know, like James Haskell's doing yeah. his DJing. Yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. basically bounced that off the rugby. Like, if he went straight into the DJing, he probably wouldn't be no. doing the gigs that he's doing. So I had this weird idea in my head that I could bounce from it. And I remember the point in which it was like, this isn't going to work, is um, I did a, a gig, and this is when I was I was playing hooker, so I was, I was like 20 kilos heavier. Yeah. And um, I had a similar story, like with the black eye. And I started singing, this woman walks past, and she's like, oh, he's not the bouncer. <laughs> <laughs> I just that kind of triggered something in my head to think yeah. maybe these two aren't like exactly hand in hand, uh, and um, that was that was uh, a, a moment. Yeah, to think I, about. I, I think it. It's so rare though for that to be the case of like having such a physical sport, whether that's rugby or like martial arts or something like that, and then someone being so creative in their actual like day to day lives as well. I think 
having those two cross paths is very rare for people. So it's almost like, like you said, it's kind of it's kind of like a selling point. It's like kind of, could I do it off the back? Could I do something like that off the back of being a rugby player? It was, I had exactly the same mm. feeling, especially at school. Everyone was like, because rugby is like a shorter career, for sure, yeah, yeah. Than, uh, than singing. Uh, and, you know, I always thought maybe I could play rugby and then I'd like maybe get to the point of playing for England and then I'd sing the national anthem, <laughs> then rip off my clothes, <laughs> run onto the pitch and play prop for England. So that that was that was always the dream. You uh, almost got there. You yeah. well, let's talk about the um, national anthem because yeah. you sang that recently, didn't you? Yeah, so it's the it's the second year I've done it. Um, oh man, it's just such a killer gig, man. It's like dream come true. Uh, and the best bit is, like, I remember when I, when I got asked, I was like, I totally expected to be doing it for free. Like, that's yeah, just what yeah. I thought. I mean, I mean, like, obviously you want to do big gigs and they, you know they've got the money behind it and stuff yeah. like that, but I would have done that gig for free. You're sitting there um, thinking, how much do I pay you? Yeah. Like, <laughs> how much do I pay you to walk into that pitch and sing the National Anthem? And then they're paying me. I'm just like, man, yeah. this is just phenomenal. And to be able to represent my country in that way um you know, with my favourite sport going on in the background uh, is just just phenomenal. Did it? Do you think it had, in terms of the selection process, do you think your background in rugby played a part in that? For sure. Yeah. I, I reckon so. They've got like a few singers who definitely don't have that background. Um, but I think they, because when, when I asked actually, it was quite nice, because when I asked... Like, how did you see me? Like, you know, stuff. Totally expecting people to say collab bro mm. or Britain's Got Talent, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, it's probably the first, probably the first time in my life I, I got a big gig like that. And it wasn't because of Britain's Got Talent or mm. anything like that. And I know that sounds weird because I, I am super proud of what I managed to do with collab bro. But man, that meant so much to me that they were like, no, no, we, we found you through like your videos on YouTube and mm. you're singing like Jerusalem and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, yeah, and we found out you're a rugby player. We really wanted to, you know, bring you in for that. And it's like, that, that, that means a lot like to me. Um, but yeah, for sure. I think selection-wise, singing, singer-wise, definitely because I play rugby as well. Uh, but I don't know many like operatic tenors yeah. that play I couldn't think of anyone better for the job, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I, I've got a feeling you'll you'll have that gig for years to come. I I really hope so. They used to do a lot with um, is it Laura Wright? Yeah, used to sing a lot. She's great. She's phenomenal. Yeah, a wonderful person as well. Met her plenty of times. But she, I think, had that gig because she was with Chris Robshaw, but also played a bit of rugby in her background mm. and things like that. I didn't realize so that. She, yeah, she was part of like that. Um, I mean, don't quote me. I'm, I might be completely wrong. But I'm pretty sure. Yeah, she used to play a little bit. And obviously she was with Chris. I know she's in good. Sh I see her videos of her like flipping weights around and stuff like that. Oh yeah, she like yeah yeah. yeah. She, she works out. <laughs> yeah, she does well on that on that end. But I couldn't think of anyone better for the job. I hope you get that for years and years to come because I feel like it's got your name written all over. Yeah it. man. I, I loved how you wore the shirt as well. I was like, <laughs> that was Filling brilliant. That Although they they said to they said to me they were like um you know what what size do you reckon you are and I'm like oh probably like you know an extra large or. They bring me the extra large and the XXL. Both don't fit. Really? <laughs> I was just like, tight. how tight are they making yeah. these shirts? I'm like, can you go back to the shop and just ask if they got a triple XXL? Because <laughs> I was like, I need to like breathe to be able to sing this yeah. song. You were saying about um, the first kind of gig from that you feel 
isn't labelled off the back of Calabro. Yeah. Obviously, that's... I mean, it's an amazing thing that you did with those guys. Yeah. And it should be like a badge that you wear proudly. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible part of your life. Is But is that a label that you'll, you want to dissociate from a bit more now that you're doing your own thing? Um, n- not, not particularly. I'm not like super aggressively like, I don't want... Because there's a lot of people who go on from those shows X Factor Principal Talent like, yeah. I don't want to have it in my bio I don't want it to be mentioned when they're introducing me on stage I'm totally like look use it because it, it works you know put yeah. bums on seats you know people like obviously know me best for being on Britain's Got Talent and part of Collabro I get that um, I've got nothing against that but I think there is an element a slight element to it especially when I left you know a lot of people Assumed I left because I thought I was better than the band or wanted to go solo or this, that and the other. So I used to get a lot of comments just being like, you'll never be as good as Collab, bro. Um, wow, I can't believe you left. You're, you're terrible. This, that and the other. On a daily basis, I get these kind of like put you down comments. So as much as I'm happy to like talk about Britain's Got Talent and like attach it to the gigs and all that kind of stuff, like for someone to say, oh no, we didn't We didn't even know you won Britain's Got Talent. We did it simply mm. off, you know, Instagram and YouTube. It's like, it's a big deal. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it just sort of hushes those demons I have in my own head that, you know, sort of built up over years from what the odd person here and there was mm. saying, you know? And that is where you started though, isn't it? On you, you, YouTube is kind of like you, your f- background in, in terms of where yeah. you... Yeah, I mean, I, I originally started... Busky in Brighton. And then I would do like a couple of videos at home, sitting in my mum and dad's like front living room, you know, yeah. doing this, that and the other. Um, and those those videos had like not many views at all. But that's kind of how the band found me. Uh, and they came across this video of me seeing Bring Him Home. And they were like, come up, come audition. And I did a couple of tunes and... Then it's sort of the ball was rolling from there, but it was never like we're gonna do Britain's Got Talent. It mm. was always that this is a like band we could put together to be able to put at corporates, yeah. or we could, you know, put it on ships. Especially like that was kind of the cruise ship market was what we were like looking at. Um, and then it got mentioned down the le- later down the line, oh maybe we should go for Britain's Got Talent, and then obviously. Six months from yeah, <laughs> we won that whole thing. It's mad because it's going back to that thing of like I don't really see the celebrity type people in that way, and in the same way I don't really watch the X Factor Britain's Got Talent stuff. But mm. I remember your guys' auditions like so vividly, so vividly, and the fact you'd only kind of come together recently was the the story that yeah they were putting on, and um, it was just it was so it was so good. Thanks, man. and it was like nothing that had. Because now I think the classical crossover thing is being done by a few people, but back yeah. when you guys did it, it was you were kind of like paving the path for. I think for a while there hadn't really been anyone filling that gap in the market. Mm. So then we did it, and then all of a sudden there's this explosion of these crossover yeah. artists, bands specifically, yeah. wanting to capitalise on that as well. Um, I remember that next year on Britain's Got Talent, I think there was like three 
groups trying to do yeah, the same who's thing. Yeah, who's an ex-collaborator. Yeah, think, basically yeah. with like Disney or, yeah. you know, the set is all that kind of stuff. What's, um, so what are you currently, day-to-day, week-to-week, what are you up to? What venues are you so, in? What? So we, I have a regular Sunday show at the Boysdale Belgravia, and that has been wonderful to build, especially coming out of uh, lockdown and everything mm-hmm. like that. Um, they've, they've given me free reign for that show, and it's just Sunday lunch, it's it's billed as a jazz show. We do a lot of jazz, but by the end of it, we're just doing song requests, mm. and we we literally open up the floodgates to song requests. And sometimes we end up doing the most random things. Like I think a couple of weeks back, we got asked to do Gangsters Paradise, <laughs> so we chuck it into like a neo. <laughs> How do you go about? I mean, because they're songs you know, but do you bring the lyrics up? And no, no, you man, don't. No, man. wow. I ha- I think I've got to a point now with my lyric learning. Where I think if I learn another song, it just knocks one out. Yeah. Because there'll be like songs that I've known for years and years. And after I've like learned a couple of new tunes, I'll go back to try and sing one of those songs. I'm like, what's the what's the lyrics to that bridge again? You know, mm-hmm. and you're like, but I know this tune, you know. It's it's get to that point where I think there's so much song lyrics in my head. There must be a study out there to be like the human brain can only know 500 songs. Yeah. It's a lot though. You're probably up there with like a couple of hundred at least. Yeah, right? dude, we, we literally just got off a um we literally just got off a super yacht called The World a couple of weeks back. And it's it's it's, it's an amazing gig, but it's a lot of tunes. We're going through like all the songs that and there's a tree of us. We're going through all the songs that we know. And literally the list by the end of it is like three hundred and fifty to four hundred plus. Crazy. And like I'm, I'm not using lyrics for any of these. Wow. The guy, the guys mostly know all of that. None of them are using like lead sheets or anything. You're like, damn, like the, the, like, I wish I could apply this to a language. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So you can you can confidently say about three hundred and fifty songs you could sing with no lyrics. I think yeah, for sure three hundred and fifty for sure. That's so important. pushing like maybe four fifty. Wow! If I like blagged a few bridges, yeah, you know, like yeah, maybe five hundred is that special cap where yeah, maybe the I'm getting like one to in it. one out. Maybe I'm getting to it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. In terms of ambitions and where you want to go with this, you've had, you've been in like the spotlight. You've been in, on the biggest stages in the world. You're singing at the national anthem at the biggest rugby matches in the world. Like you're on the circuit. What what else is there that you want to do? I think it's a weird one, especially after having this vocal hemorrhage situation. Because I feel like I'm still not back to full health, and that's almost holding me back mm-hmm. with my ideas. I have ideas, but I'm like, oh, can I execute them as well as I used to be able to? I'd also love to be able to carry on doing the rugby stuff. Um, I think that's that's kind of where I want to push myself into this sort of like like we mentioned earlier, be able to have this sort of rugby player singer mm-hmm. package and really like I want to get I, th- I think at the moment my biggest goal is just getting back to my strongest vocal point and uh, as many you know, people be like oh but don't you want to like you know get a number one album or do you want to do this or that I'm like no I it's the biggest thing for me because I know how happy I'll be like in my mental space mm-hmm. if I get my voice back to full vocal health that's going to make me the happiest I can possibly be yeah and like like you mentioned you know obviously i didn't having accomplished so much so early with britain's got talent and the band and 
you know, having the number one album and touring the world and all this kind of stuff. A lot of those things, as much as it'd be great to do them on my own, they're kind of ticked off. Like I've done it. Mm. Um, are you over it? Is it? I'm not like I'm not like over it. Like because a lot of people are like I, I'm, I remember when I left and I started doing like little jazz clubs and doing the the, the functions and things mm. like that. Like people are like, well, don't you miss like doing the Royal Albert Hall? And this, that, and the other. But I remember the last time I did the Royal Albert Hall, I couldn't wait to get off stage. Really? Yeah, because that, that, that was the last place I was left with Calabro. Like yeah. that's why I left because I was like I was so I was so like disinterested and, and fell out of love with music. What was it about that situation that? It, I I played rugby my whole life. Right, I'm used to working as a team and everyone having their back. You go on rugby tour. No man left behind, you know, all this stuff. Everyone protects everyone and you work as a team. You work to play players' strengths. You know, you've got a prop who can't really get around the pitch. That's me. <laughs> uh, but then you've got, you know, if I'm good at bowling people over and, you know, turning over ball. But then you've got a winger who's going to run in all the tries, you know, and run circles around the opposition. We all have our strengths and weaknesses. In this band... There, there was just there was no like cohesion like that that I'd ever that I, I thought there would be. I thought it'd like be boys on tour. Mm. Not that I expect it to be wild and crazy. I just thought we'd all be really together on it. Like, do you think that those guys in Calabro deep down wanted to do their own individual thing? I, I know for sure. Yeah, because we and and don't get me wrong. Like it's it's, it's been. You know, a good few years now. Like yeah. all the stuff's yeah, been yeah. put to bed. I've reached out and tried to contact them. We've had chats here and there, but nothing's ever like come about. Not that I do. Not a, not that I wanted to like get back involved with it. But I think when I when the uh, coronavirus and all that kind of stuff came round, I it put a lot of stuff in into perspective for me. I just sort of reached out to say, you know, hope everything's all right because the first time we talked in mm. forever. Um, but then I was like, oh, let's meet up for a drink. And then just, just nothing ever really happened about it. Yeah. So I've, I've let, you know, people get on with what, with whatever, but we were so young back then. Anyway, what was the question? <laughs> oh, so, so that, <laughs> the guy, just, the, the guys in that band, do you think that they were trying to leverage that to do their own personal thing? You're talking about team right. players and, and do you think they were more individuals as opposed to team players? I think there was, I think the problem with, when you're in a vocal harmony group, it's just so much different from being in a band because we all want to be the singer. But there's more elements to being in a band than just, even if everyone's the singer, than being the singer. There's people who talk well on stage. There's people who are really great at running the operation. There's people who look awesome and should be in front of every uh, cover photo we do or you know album photo you know there's a lot of elements there that we're covering as a band as a as a company right and it got to this point where you know I think there was just a bit of animosity because when especially when we did the first album um, the producers would often ask me to come back in and re-record some of the lines about oh, can we get Richard as an option for this that and the other mm-hmm. and so when it came round to getting the final product I remember some of the boys waiting thinking they're going to get their solos and it was me so it, it, it's, that's where the ball started 
with all that kind of stuff. They want that solo. Everyone wants to be. Everyone, kind of, well, every, of course, every, yeah. of course, everyone wants to. But you have to think of from from the perspective of, you know, if one of us sounds doesn't sound completely right, they're not going to say, "Oh, so and so wasn't very good." They're going to go, "Calabro wasn't very good." Mm. So you you got we're, we're we're not no one's going no one's singling people out. We are a one one body thing. Yeah. Anyway, we get further down the line and. You know, a lot of stuff has happened. Stories like me being left in Japan and um, like other bits and pieces that, that I just, I just felt like we weren't working as a team. Anyway, our, our our manager turns around to us, I think, a year and a half in, and goes, "Look, maybe you guys should start doing solo stuff." And I'm like, "No, because we're gonna like we're gonna." dilute what we have as a band if we start going off doing this that and the other we dilute Calabro anyway the boys didn't agree it was like a democracy so everyone was like right we want to go do our own stuff I was like cool fine so uh, Jamie I think went off and started writing a few bits and pieces with some musical theatre writers um, you know Michael started doing like his own calendars and stuff like that uh, like Matt put on uh, his own show uh, in Carlisle a few months before we did the Calabro show <laughs> in Carlisle. So, you know, you, you have people doing their own thing. And uh, I wasn't going to, like, just be left in the dust. So I was like, right, okay, so I'll start a YouTube channel. So I started doing those Paul Anker, you know, Rock Swings, right? So I, start, I started taking those and doing covers of those those Rock Swings album because I love that album and started making loads of, like... and. Uh, videos and they just blew up they had like 50,000 views 60,000 views and people were loving them and then I remember there was one day where I'd gone off to uh, sadly my, one of my friends at school passed away and we it was a big funeral and I told the band I'm at the funeral right so I'm at the funeral blah blah everything's I'm at the wake and I get this email come through and I'm like right look down and I've got this email saying, if you don't stop your YouTube channel, we're kicking you out of the band. And I'm like, wait, wait, I swear we're all doing our own thing. And on top of this, you know I'm out awake today for my friend. Like, this is just like the last straw for me. Like, like I know, regardless of whether or not you thought my YouTube channel was like being an issue you've like messaged me on a day which like you knew that i was doing something fairly emotionally heavy and you're 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 throwing this at me at my mate's wake i was just like wow man like this think, band no one's got each other's backs do, do you think that there's something there that was a bit intentional as in they, they there was a bit I, more to it i don't know i th i held on i held on to that for a long time mm. i don't think they know that and I think, in hindsight, when I look back, of course they didn't do that. On, they can't have. They can't have done that on purpose. I just don't think anyone would, you know. And I'd like to. I'd like to believe that. I'd like to believe that they. They, you know, they just. It skipped their mind. They sent this out. I mean, still, I think the. I think the whole thing, of, especially when everyone's doing their own thing. To, that like I say, that was the. That was a straw yeah. that broke the camel's back. And I, I, I remember a few months before that, we'd sold out the Royal Albert Hall on our second UK, UK tour. I'm standing there in front of 5,000 people 
we're doing stars. Everyone's got their like lights on the camera. You know, they're waving it. And I was just like, man, I do not want to be here. And it had nothing to do with the crowd. It had nothing to do with the pressure of the situation or anything like that, which was fairly high. It was simply the four guys on stage that I was with. Mm, that's such a shame, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, man. It was because we had yeah. such a wonderful thing. Yeah. And f- forgetting forgetting all the, the politics and all this kind of stuff, like the thing that we had was brilliant. And people connected with it. Like people loved the sound that we made. You know, people loved that we were just these five lads from different parts mm. of the country, you know. And and, and before that, we, we really were just getting gig by gig. Yeah. And and now we're, and now we've been shot to this superstardom. It was it was it a real. It seems show. to be a thing, though. I mean, with with all these, you think about all of the big boy bands and that sort of thing. It get, it gets to a point where it kind of maybe it gets too big, or maybe it just starts to break down in in one form or another. But there's not too many really successful boy bands that have just glued together right to the end. And no. sometimes it's it's an inevitable part of your journey, and and you got to think okay this is an opportunity now it's yeah. a good opportunity for me to move on in whatever light um and i mean you've done you have done exactly that yeah and, yeah. and you're doing brilliantly in your own right um there's one there's one little quote that i got from uh i think it was from your website and um it, i feel like it's it's a relevant thing to bring up yeah because so many of these things are true to this day and age and true to this industry as yeah. well and i feel like you hear these kind of stories a lot and so i think it's from your website but it says i put on weight lost confidence singing wasn't fun anymore the fans were awesome the experiences were out of this world but i couldn't handle the politics of the music industry being part of collabo shattered my confidence and stopped me enjoying singing um and after the 10th anniversary of britain got talent i decided time to leave the band to focus on my mental health and happiness uh, people ask me about losing the fame success, but honestly, I couldn't have made a better decision. Fame doesn't fulfill you, and it certainly isn't an appropriate measure of success, especially when it doesn't make you happy. After taking a few months off, I decided to get back into the music industry and return to my original life, jazz. I think there's just so much in there, which is so profound to the music industry as a whole. And you've got all these kids coming up thinking, oh, if I just win, Britain's got talent. If I just get, you know, my life sorted, I'll be happy forever. Like it's, this is the dream. And you've been through it. You've, you've kind of, in a lot of ways, you've lived a lot of people's dreams, a lot of people's dream life. And you've gotten to the point where it's like, actually, it's not all it's hyped up mm. to be. Yeah, it's, I think a lot of people, like you say, attach the idea that, you know, once you've done that, you're made. You've, you've, what have you got to be sad about? You've, you've, you've done it. You're on Britain's Got Talent. You're touring the world. You're doing this. You're doing that. I mean, did you, you heard recently um, Ed Sheeran was in a real real situation where he, he thought about killing himself last year. And people, that's some of the comments I see. They're like, they're like why, are you gonna, why do you feel like you're going to kill yourself? You're a millionaire. You're making loads of music. You're touring the world. You're doing what you love. Here's me and my day job. But people don't get there's so many other pressures. It doesn't matter what you've got, like money-wise, you know. There's so there's so much more of an emotional connection that that people are missing out in that equation that makes you a happy person in life. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah, I think a lot of kids see these TV shows and just think, yeah, it's that's that, that once I've done that, then I'll be happy. The same, it's the same thing with like bodybuilding and stuff like that. There's the amount of body dysmorphia that goes on at the moment. You know, the amount of times that I've been there where I've, you know I've lost a bit of weight, but I always have to lose more. You know, you're never quite happy. Um, and actually, if you focused on a different area of your life, maybe you would feel more content and satisfied rather than just attaching to that one thing, yeah. whether it's fame, whether it's money, whether it's body fat percentage. It's a strange thing about human beings, isn't it? Where it, it's never quite enough. And even when you kind of get that goal that you're after, actually can be the most unfulfilling part is achieving yeah. that goal. All of a sudden you think, wait a minute. And one of the reasons I called this podcast the journey of a singer, yeah. I believe that the most fulfilling part is the journey. Yeah. And actually the day-to-day -day, like I haven't achieved the things that you've achieved and their aspirations and that sort of thing but I've gotten to the point now where I actually just I, I really enjoy the graft and the journey and the day-to-day -day mm. of trying to achieve something and I think that's where the happiness stems from is that knowing you've put what you can into it you've done the best you possibly can as a human being and you're going to get some result from that yeah you're never going to fail because when you fail you learn something you learn so much from the failure that if you choose to use it for something then that's going to propel you to something even better and um yeah that's why I, one of the reasons i called it the journey yeah i think it's i, I watch a, a youtuber called greg Doucette. i don't know if she brings a bell right yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's something the thing he bangs on about all the time it's not um, the destination it is yeah. truly the journey but I wish I wish people could do you know what actually though I think you have to kind of get some form of success before you realise that mm. I don't think until you've achieved some sort of success you, you properly appreciate that it is the journey that was the fun yeah. Um so I, I I would implore all anyone that's like listening or watching that's maybe a bit younger and getting into this at the start of their journey just enjoy it because also that will show in your performance as well that will yeah. show in 100% I think I used to, and this sounds terrible, but especially when I was younger and coming out of Calabro, I had this like really weird feeling about the music industry and, you know, I'd get gigs and this and that and the other. And I base my, I base my performance, like input, like the energy I put into a show based on how much I was getting paid. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I hated every minute. <laughs> I actually hated every minute. And there was this, it just clicked in my head. Uh, I can't remember when, but I think it was like a year after doing that. Well, I was so, so, and I, I think a lot of that stemmed from my issues with the music industry. And I'd, I'd held on to some stuff coming out of Calabro. And it was like a year after that. And I went, well, it doesn't matter what I'm getting paid. Let's just go there and have fun and enjoy it. And that's when I really started to just love performing again it's really interesting you say that because I, you and i both busked right yeah and one of the things that was kind of a thing among the buskers that did quite well was not particularly thinking about the money but actually just in, enjoying it and getting on with the day mm. and the more you enjoyed it i found the more you'd end up getting paid yeah just because people can pick up on that people can feel that energy mm. people can feel that energy and people have a good time when I, I used to say I still do now it's like especially doing like especially let's say a wedding right 
maybe some people are a bit nervy, you know, people haven't had enough to drink yet. But if I go on stage and make a tit of myself, you know, <laughs> full dance moves, having a laugh, you know, throwing every care to the wind, right? It makes people feel so much more relaxed. Yeah. And they feel like they can have a laugh and dance and like have a good time. Some people get a bit nervous about having a boogie on the dance floor. Yeah. If you if you see that guy over there, he's just going for it. So you know it's like if, if you just chuck it all in, you know, um that 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 emotional response from other human beings, like they feel the yeah. they feel it and they go, oh, you know, what have I got to be worried about? I need to take a leaf out of your book. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's sometimes sometimes I turn up to a wedding and I, I I'm not very good at the kind of like everybody let's go let's get dancing that kind not of the thing. front man yeah 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 that's not my but it's something I want to get better at something you need to be good at as a singer and yeah, entertainer it, it, but it also depends on the situation yeah. right like you need to read a room as well yeah so you can't just be like <laughs> you can't be like at a wake so you like yeah and yeah. they'd be like come on everyone <laughs> you know it's not gonna quite go down right yeah I need to I need to pick up a few tips I think <laughs> come see come see this meatloaf performance yeah you? yeah exactly absolutely. But um, oh, on the note that we're talking about the music business yeah. and the monetary value of these things, yeah, it's changed a lot in probably since even when you finished with Calabro. But these days, and we're talking about this with a few other guests on the podcast, but these days you kind of have a bit more control if you're doing things independently. Um, if you're smart about your decisions, you mm. can cut out a few middlemen, do things on your own. The ability to do that is now there because of certain platforms we have, because of social media. Um, but I'd imagine even so, even for like a, a boy band pop group, you, you've got four or five members in a pop group but, mm. or, or just a boy band, you're still going to have to split everything between four or five people. Yeah. Then you've got your manager, you've got tour manager, you've got, there's all these kind of things. The, the politics and the monetary association with the music business did you find that being part of something like a boy band actually it the trickle down and by the time things got to you it wasn't what you were expecting based on the i mean you guys were selling out yeah, and, i mean and I, I was 20 when i got into collab bro and when all that stuff happened it was more money than i'd ever seen in my life <laughs> <laughs> you know but when i when i look on it look at it now yeah. And I'm especially like le when we got down the line with Calabro and we started realizing, oh, why were we paying so and so 500 for yeah. driving us somewhere? We're, like one of us could have done it. You yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? We're like, and then you're like, oh, why, do, why did we pay that guy like thousands for buying us all the same tone navy suit? You know, it's like it. You start realizing, and there was a lot. I don't know how much I can speak about it because there was so many contracts and NDAs I had to sign. But there was a real issue with our management side of things because we had an old manager and then for one or two reasons, we had to get rid of them, but they still got a percentage because they created us and then we were with a different manager. So yeah, man, by the time, by the end of it, you know, you're paying so-and-so 20%, you're paying so-and-so 10% of that 20%. You know, you're paying like all these people like you say tour managers and this that and the other and don't get me wrong there's people in those roles that we had along the way that were totally essential mm. but man there was just about as many people who just didn't need to be there yeah people have jump, <laughs> they jump on the bandwagon don't they yeah and 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 yeah like like we were speaking about earlier when people think you know not necessarily just like oh i need this money or i need this fame but people immediately assume when you win a like program like that you're a millionaire mm. 
or at least making six digits, right? It's just not the case mm. at, at all. Like, not the case at all. Look, we make good wages. And like I say, I was 20. I hadn't seen that much money. I used to be busking in the street, right? Yeah. And I'd do the odd, like, gig here and there off the back of it. But man, I was saving up money from the from the pound coins for a Chinese at the end of the weekend with my girlfriend. You know, like that <laughs> to, from, to go from that to then suddenly, you know, getting well straight out the bat. I remember after we won uh, Britain's Got Talent because the prize there's a like, prize money. Isn't the prize it? is two fifty. Yeah, two hundred fifty thousand. Right. Yeah. So we had to give like so so yeah we we all got obviously we had to give some money away but like you know you have 50k coming into your bank account the day after wow I remember going to my bank account I think I had like a tenner in there or something like that <laughs> beforehand because I because I was on the train up and down to, to go to the studio and you know I remember one point I had to ask the um, I had to ask one of the crew like can can I can I you know get some of this money back because I can't afford to go, keep coming up up and down and they, sometimes they pay for some stuff but other mm-hmm. stuff other times they don't Anyway, uh, so yeah, I just fifty fifty k in my bank. I was like, right, here we go. So I gave ten grand to my mum oh, to, to pay off mortgage and all that kind yeah. of stuff. That was a big thing that I really wanted to do. And then I took my brother to like get a whole new wardrobe. Um, took mum jewelry shopping, you know, and that's a th- and that's a thing. Annoyingly, that stayed with me. I'm not annoyed about it, but my girlfriend definitely is. <laughs> I'm very generous. Like once I get some money, and I always spend it on other people. Um, but uh, you know, that was to an extreme. With when oh, 50k man. was sitting in. in did you Did you get anything nice for yourself? I got I got my first ever laptop. Yeah, yeah. At age 20, my mum and dad. We were never super well off. My mum worked kind of in finance, but she'd she'd worked her way up. Like she never like went to university or anything she came in like bottom rung and then started doing all this stuff through a company she worked for like 25 30 years mm. my dad was a taxi driver um so you know to, to see this just see this kind of money just f- flash in the pan bang into your account you're like wow and then obviously over the time we, we got paid well and um and yeah to be able to look after my parents when they after they'd looked after me for so long um, it that felt, must be it a good felt feeling. amazing, man. That must be a really it felt nice amazing. Feeling. Yeah. yeah, I remember I'd just be like, like my my dad, especially after he retired. I kind of be like, oh, dad, is is like twenty quid or something like that. Go to the pub or something. Like that. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, thank for it. Because you can't trust my dad. Cannot be trusted with a bank account. My mum looks after it all. So if my da- <laughs> if mum hasn't given my dad money, he's not got any. <laughs> it's been spent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that is a that is a nice feeling. Is yeah, there man. is there anything you would say to anyone that's thinking of or going on a similar competition? or reality type show such as Britain's Got Talent? Uh, I, I think they're incredible experiences. Obviously, with my hindsight now, when I look back, after the things that I've done, I'm a little bit jaded just because of the, the, the experience I had by the end of it. But for someone going in who's never experienced those kind of things, well worth the journey, for sure. Even if you just go through the first round, you get a taste of, you get to see what everything's like behind the scenes. I remember, we you, you shoot the VTs right before you do, um, like the little bits you see when before we do our semi final or final, whatever. The amount of hours that go into shooting those VTs, I mean, 
for example, th- this podcast, you might not hear all of it, you know, <laughs> who knows? But the amount of hours that go into filming things. It's incredible. Yeah. And I remember we, that we, we did this one thing. We've been filming all day. This is for literally like a minute clip. We've been filming all day, all day. So anyway, we're on top of this bus and all this kind of stuff going around London, you know, classic like X Factor, Britain's Got Talent shot. We get off. We they send they put they send us all to the hotels for the night that they booked us in, or some of the lads who lived in London went back to their homes. We get this phone call on the way back. They're like, "Hey guys, um, we just missed one shot that we think would be really great. We're all almost back at home, right? It's like an hour in whatever direction, as you can imagine, in London. So we're like, all right, buddy, so we all come back to central London to do this one shot of us walking across." Uh, like just walking across the road with it, and they, they're waiting for like a big bus to come past, right? Just to have us like in, I don't know. That That's what they wanted. They wanted a shot of us walking across the road, big bus behind us sort of going past. Get the shot. Uh, never makes it. <laughs> never makes it to the VT. You're like, wow. And I remember, I actually, I think one of the biggest moments that happened was when we'd actually done our first audition. And we come, we come through. We're all like super excited. We just had three and a half thousand people up on their feet, including the four judges. We are just like, what the hell has gone on? We come out, all natural reactions. Like, oh my god, we, like I can't believe we've just done this. We're through to the semi-finals. It's going to be amazing. Blah blah blah. We're, we're kicking off. We're all hugging each other. Anyway, chills out. Producer comes over. and goes, can you just, can we just go through the door and do that one more time? <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm like what he's like yeah just do it one more time and so we we now have to fake this, this reaction of us coming through the door um, and then we've done we've done the faked one you're like yeah 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 he's like right if we can just do one more take <laughs> like wow okay this is TV that's when your acting comes in exactly yeah. exactly but then you suddenly realise this when you're watching something like Holmes Under the Hammer right yeah and you see all these like different camera angles but you know fully well after going through all this stuff there's one camera guy so you see them you see the shot from them walking into the house right and then there's the shot when they're walking through the door into the mm-hmm. house you're like they've done that in like three four takes like he's, he's quickly they've gone right yeah we've got you walking into the house quickly change position for the the cameraman mm-hmm. and he's like right go again walk into the house <laughs> you know to get the second yeah. shot of them walking in you're just like wow you, you suddenly it's suddenly realize you, you also realize with things like reality tv that it's a lot of snipping editing oh. and taking this from this and and um it's it's a so back to the point about what would you say to someone coming up and right. doing a show like that that that's it's kind of like a go for it give it your thing but don't be surprised if a narrative is created from something yeah that- for sure i think i think doing the, exp- the, ex- the whole experience is amazing especially if you've never seen something like that before or have never done anything to do with tv before but then don't don't be shocked when they start turning things on their heads for example i did the voice not like the year gone year before took a whole year to come out they even with my background, with Brits Got Talent, everything like that, they're like, right, but do you do anything else? <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm a professional singer. But at the time, they'd approached me just after lockdown. So I was like, look, sure, why not? 
could be a really good could be a great experience i've got nothing i didn't know if, wh- when the gigs were coming in i'm sure you felt exactly the same after yeah. two years of no gigging you're like well <laughs> what have i got to lose so but in that time during the lockdown i've been doing a bit of tree surgeoning with my bassist who now is a tree surgeon uh so uh they i, I just mentioned it i was like well my bassist started doing this tree surgeon stuff and he used to get me into, you know, lift logs and I'd be living my strong man fantasy kind of thing. And they're like, great. Okay. That became your, they're they're like, great. You're a, uh, you're, you're a lumberjack. So they got like for the VTs and everything like that, they got me in like, you know, the, what's it called? Flannel shirt, the whole shebang. They got me into a logging, they, they booked this logging place. To like film, like film me, like lifting massive planks of wood and things. As like if that. it was your day to day thing that you'd, you'd been doing for years. Yeah. So they took me to they, they put this massive logging place, right? That, and I'm like, I've never been here ever. And I'm just like, wow, they're really trying to create this narrative, this story mm-hmm. about me being, you know, a lumberjack. <laughs> you know? It's. It, I'm, I've done a few of these things, and um, it, it, it's the sort of thing you. If you don't know about it and it happens, then you're like, I didn't realise that was the case. Yeah. As soon as you kind of know that that's the way it works, that's then what becomes the decision as to whether or not you want to engage. Mm. Because you know that by going on any of these shows, it can go any which way. It's a bit of a risk. Ultimately, like, if you know what's going to go on, you're kind of at the whim of the production and the editing and that kind of thing. And you just have to hope they get your best bits and and maybe don't get it so much as you're... This is the thing, it's like... I remember sort of being in that situation and I really made it clear. I was like, but I am, I am a singer Mm -hmm. full time. You know, people know that I won Britain's Got Talent, especially if they're watching the show like this as well, because they're probably more likely to have seen Britain's Got Talent because they're watching The Voice and all this kind of stuff. And it's, even though I was trying to still create that, still make sure that they, they knew all that information, I was still almost just because of the situation not that they were being forceful or pushing me to do stuff but the the questions that they send you sometimes mm. you know you almost feel like you have to engage with those yeah, questions yeah, that they're throwing sure. at you on the on on the fly whether that's you know about especially they're like right can we get can you just say some they'll say like or oh, can you just say it like this yeah. rather than what you just said yeah. and and you and you do it cuz in the moment you know, I, I definitely going into the voice situation. I definitely had more understanding, but I can imagine for just like we get back to the point. If you're doing this for the first time and uh, you're not aware of the, the the tricks and of the trade of what the, what the TV entails, uh, just be wary mm-hmm. and and feel like you can say no because they can't force you to do mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. But they can try and manipulate you to say something. Yeah. So just like, don't let you don't let you yourself go into like just autopilot. Like actually think about what they've asked you, and answer accordingly in your own time. Yeah. But it's one of those things that uh, it's a payoff. It's, and, it's, a, it's and, a trade. It's a yeah, trade. You, you know? That's why I think it's important for people to know because if they're going into it, then just be aware that's the case and, and that's what you've got to... You've got to remember it's an entertainment show. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, okay, people win and people do this, but the main objective of that show is to entertain the people at home. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, they're going to want a story. Yeah, they're going to want to have you say, this is my last chance to achieve something. <laughs> you know, they want that because it's like very emotional. Yeah. Like, it's very guttural. It's very emotional. Um, they want those sound bites. Mm-hmm. They don't want you to say, oh, well, you know, this is a wonderful experience, but, you know, it's not going to change my life. Mm-hmm. Like, if it, if it doesn't go my way. They no. want you to go, this is the end of ends. <laughs> you know, I'm going to fall off the end of the earth if I don't get this, you know. Yeah. And it does, I mean, in a way, it's a good thing that they do that yeah. because more people watch it. Yeah, it means sure. that it is more entertaining. For and sure. It's, it's, you've got to work, you've got to work with each other for yeah. sure. That's why these kind of conversations and podcasts and the way that we can do this independently, I think it's so important for the modern day. Yeah, man. Because... That there's there's a lot of that in the mainstream type media where it is very attention grabby and because there's so much to compete with over the last 10 years 15 20 years it's had to become more and more attention grabby to the point where it's like you see this thing pop up on your computer and it's like this person has died and you like arnold schwarzenegger dead 82 you click on it and, you, and it's like could have been the case if he'd had this this and this <laughs> and you're like what the actual hell how how are they managing to twist this so much now yeah um, and they'll, they'll give you half the uh give you half of the actual article and yeah like, and then put your page, email click on <laughs> click on page two yeah and you have first to... give us your email and then <laughs> yeah there's a lot of that but but there's also a lot more open these type conversations where people are doing things independently and um i think there's a lot more information available yeah. now um, but there's a lot more disinformation as well. Yeah. So it's like, how do you navigate? It's, it's navigating the weeds. Isn't yeah. And, I, and that I think comes down to primarily like a, a, just a core education of understanding and not being too influenced by anything mm. and not being too uninfluenced by it. Like you got to take everything with a bit of pinch of salt nowadays. Yeah. You can't, you can't let yourself gain too much of a bias mm-hmm. towards it, which way. And try and stay open-minded about everything. 100%. About everything. It seems to be the case. Like, as you get older, you start to narrow in on, oh, this is what my life experience has been, therefore this is what it's going to be like in the future. And you become a bit more narrow-minded. And I see this with, like, parents and and stuff of, like, you're kind of looking at them and you're like, they they genuinely believe that, but it's it's coming from a restricted mindset. Yeah. And um, trying to keep yourself open-minded even as we age it's kind of been shown that your brain literally becomes a bit more solid and narrow (laughs) like um rigid and there's certain things you can do to keep that brain plasticity you can learning new things is a great thing to do singing is a great thing to do it's it's lighting up different parts of your brain Mm -hmm. that don't normally get lit up yeah and that will keep you young physically and it will keep you also mentally a bit young more open-minded um it's crazy like in a bit of a tangent but like the fact that in the US politically is like you can either be A or B that's it mm. and that kind of mentality is kind of it, it gets more like that as you but get that's older what it, but that's kind of what all that thrives off <laughs> now we go down a political route but that's what all that thrives off of they don't want anyone sitting on the fence they yeah, don't want a middle yeah. party because it it's the ability to cast know, a vote at the end of the day 100%. isn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We're, 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 look, look we at can, us. yeah, look, look at us. philosophers. We, we should be on politicians. We should be on like ITV, whatever, yeah. talking about politics. All our do still, knowledge. Do you still play rugby? I actually don't. So um, I got to. I, I was. It was my life for a very long time. Like from the age of thirteen, I decided I'm going to be a professional rugby player. Mm. That's what I wanted to do. I've got a letter that I wrote to myself at the age of nine, I think, mm. and it said something along the lines of, "I promise myself I'll be." a singer 
actor or professional rugby player or in the SAS by the okay, time right. by the time I'm 18 or whatever and I like yeah. signed it and I still got that letter and I kind of have done a lot of those things like I, I did the um, the academy like age group stuff and yeah. the, I played um, I did like the national stuff as well the, the counties the, oh, nice, the yeah. inter-counties and then the England under 18s clubs and schools that kind of thing nice, so yeah. rugby for me was huge like it was my life mm. and I gave absolutely everything to it and um in the back of my head, there was always this thing, like we said earlier, that I could be channeling or leveraging my music career from that after my rugby. Because yeah, rugby sure. is a short career. It's like, well, what do you do after you're 35? Well, what do they have there? That, that pop, pop to opera? That's right. Yeah. I think, I think that they guy went missing. I think he died. I think he went missing. I could yeah, be completely um, butchering I, yeah, this. No, the Bath player. Yeah, you're talking about Bath player who was with... Um, Tom Evans. Yeah. And they're in that boy band group. Yeah. X Factor. That's right. And yeah. I think, I, I don't know exactly what happened, but no, it was I, really I tragic. It's, it's, all, yeah, it's all really, are still up in the air. Yeah. I think they're still trying to find out what happened. So that was um, something I kind of did think was be, would be possible through the rugby. Because I was like, well, if I'm playing a national age group, maybe I can play premiership. And then the point to me that kind of was like, that's not going to happen is I got to kind of 2021. 20, yeah. And I was in, I was at Exeter and I really wanted to play for the Chiefs. Right. And so I went to the university there, which is kind of like a feeder academy. Yeah. And um, so I was playing for the uni down there and I was doing the age group stuff, the um, counties, under 20s, yeah. trials and all that sort of kind of stuff. And I was like, I moved, so let me backtrack. I, I, I played for Bedford Blues uh, yeah. Senior Academy when I was 16, 15, 16, 17. Right. And I was, and I arrogantly thought I was, too good for the championship which is hilarious which is <laughs> like your brother plays yeah, for like yeah, yeah, yeah. champ level yeah, yeah. so you know how players. hilarious that is but I was young I was like 16 17. yeah for sure like you get you get warped with it especially yeah. if you've been in especially if you've done like the the prem uh, academies Academy as well stuff, and yeah. all that you think you're the shit oh yeah so you're 17 you're like you're at the age where you're, you, you're cocky anyway because yeah. that's what you are as a 17 year old but you're also like pumping weights you're like yeah you're recovering you're like it's like you're living you're living the life of an athlete and i was i was a bit of a unit back then right. and i was like i can take this to another level yeah. i like i don't want to get stuck in the championship yeah so i thought how can i get in the prem well just finished my a levels i can get into exeter so i did exeter and i thought i could probably make my way into the chiefs yeah. and i went down there and i was like oh man this is like way harder than i thought it was like the, the, their standard down there is another level the chief setup and the like the number of guys that they can fill in with oh, yeah. is crazy like all of them you're could just, be playing prem you're just a, yeah you're, you're just, just a number, a, yeah and i went to the uni thinking oh, i'll walk into the first team like i've played at like a great level yeah. and everyone there had done the same thing yeah it was crazy and so i thought the point in which it's going to take me if i even get there mm. to play for the premiership i'm probably going to be 27 28 I'm, I'm not even that age now like yeah. i'd still be grafting away at maybe nat two nat one yeah, yeah. just for the opportunity and i wanted the johnny wilkinson like dream, your, dream <laughs> yeah. like but you, wearing the england shirt but all that stuff happens uh, with this is a rugby podcast now but yeah all that stuff happens so so much earlier on than we are aware obviously you have like the amazing stories of like Bevan Rod and stuff like that, where people come up through the championship and manage to make it. But man, people are picked out early doors, mm -hmm. especially for like international mm -hmm. and Prem clubs. Yeah. And then you have to remember also the Prem clubs, you're getting so many overseas players as well. Mm -hmm. 
there's not it's not like 15 players on that team are all English yeah like there's <laughs> about half that is, for, is there's room for you you know chances are if you're playing for a great private school club and you're playing in a prem academy and you're 15 16 and then keep going like yeah. you got you got a shot at least yeah you and need to get into southeast under 16 yeah yeah that's what needs to happen to and get to have any shot I, I will say this as well though is i noticed a lot of guys at university level popping off mm. so it's possible i think if if you're in the point where you're like do i become a professional rugby player haven't quite made it by the age of 18 but i could still go to uni yeah go, try that go route uni. because yeah. there were a lot of guys especially like bath and bath loughborough hartbury it's all great for him at the moment loughborough hartbury and exeter are literally professional rugby sides their yeah. first 15 are literally playing at like a nat one championship yeah. level so by all means do that and, and i saw a lot of guys who hadn't played like anywhere near the level that loads of people had yeah. that went to uni and actually got the opportunity got to chance. play for Chiefs. They got that chance. That's great. Um, so it's good to see that ultimately, like, the talent is what will prevail. And if yeah. you're better than people, then it will happen. When there's, like, a 5% difference, then it can become a bit political and, and whatever. But if you're 10% better than the next man, they're going to pick you. Yeah. They have to. Why wouldn't they? Like, yeah, yeah. You, you're, you're going to do a better job on the field. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's, I wasn't 10% better than the next man. Like, I probably wasn't even as good as it, the guy. Right, so, yeah. Um, you had that realisation. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. That's a hard... Really hard, How old are you? Really hard. No, no. So when I was 17, oh, but you, and then 18, I went to Exeter, and I yeah. continued playing until I was 21. Yeah, so I yeah. did the whole uni thing. But even at twenty one, that that's a that's a hard realization. Yeah. To, to with it, I'm just giving you props to yourself to be able to go, man. Maybe I'm not cut out. Yeah. Like, just just to have that moment. I also th I I was trying to look at the longevity of it, and I was like, I don't want to be in a position where I'm playing championship rugby at the age of thirty. I feel like there's more to what I can do within my lifespan between the next ten years. But man, I remember going into my head coach is office and at Exeter it's like a full on professional setup you've got yeah. your S&C oh, yeah, coaches yeah. your nutritionists your psychology you're training as a team yeah. in the gym all of you like if you're doing a weight you've got five guys behind you screaming at you to get that weight up mm -hmm. it's another level of like I had no idea Yeah. and I remember going into the head coach's office he was an amazing guy and uh, I don't hold anything against him not yeah, picking yeah. me for certain things but I really liked him anyway I went in there and I was like, I think I've like come to a decision that like I can't do this anymore. Mm. And he was like, it, this is the one bit that kind of irks me. Was he was like, yeah, I could kind of see it coming. <laughs> and and I was like, that's the last <laughs> thing you need. Um, yeah, just the bit where you maybe needed someone to get around you and go. You can do it. Can, but I'll this. give you a chance. Anyway, but no, he. No, like, <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, and uh, at the time, I was I was the club treasurer. I was. Um, doing other things for so it wasn't just the you were, you were deeply involved i couldn't just quit no so i had to keep training with the boys and like being there and, and that kind of thing and um and then i was a bit lost so i got i finished my university and i was like what the frick am i gonna do yeah. and then i ended up staying for a master's because i basically couldn't think of a lot else to do and and i'd already been or i'd already signed this contract for a, a tv show that mm -hmm. i was gonna do and um, I was like, okay, well, that's coming out in six months. I'll just do this master's and then do that. And um, and I remember, like, it being so tough to, to kind of go to the odd training session and, like, see the guys that were really going for it. And I was like, yeah. I can't give 100% anymore. Um, but I learned so much, yeah. so much from that. And Damn, what a great experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, a lot, I think rugby in general has given me so many values mm -hmm. that I now just 
uphold as like a human being mm-hmm. like they've all come from rugby absolutely know? yeah especially but, like you know down the wreck on a sunday with your family yeah you know it's like the like so much of like my key memories come from those yeah those days and those moments are you playing at the moment You're still, yeah, I, yeah i play for old streetonians mm-hmm. i've had a bit of an issue this year obviously mentioned all the vocal hemorrhage stuff but that to one side i've had like two eye operations oh, shit. i've got i've got glycoma okay so like my left eye has been done now i don't know if you can see it it's like kind of red yeah a little bit and gross yeah. uh so <laughs> <laughs> they put like a little um they put like a little glass tube in there okay releases the pressure whatever they screwed it up the first time oh, no. which meant i couldn't exercise and this all came at the same time this was like october yeah so i was having a real shitter of it like (laughs) you know october last year um and they said to me you can't because your pressure is now so low in your left eye you can't work out you can't play rugby um because if i like because when you work out your pressure comes down right i believe is that the? i'm not a scientist is that the good so glycoma is that what is that exactly it's like Basically, my, my my situation, it's like, it's called pigment um, dispersion syndrome. Mm. So, like, you know the stuff that, like, makes your eye blue or mm-hmm. brown or green or whatever you're blessed with? Uh, I've got too much of that sloshing around in the back mm. of my head. So, I play rugby, right? And, I like, after, if I'd had a couple of collisions, like, big hit, big hits and stuff, which would often be the case, my vision would just go all like foggy like someone burnt bacon or something like that but like everywhere yeah and and like round lights so for example in my uh, right one right now which hasn't had the operation i can see like rainbows round lights that's mental yeah that's mental yeah it's kind of weird so but but anyway they, they screwed up the left eye because it was so low i wasn't allowed to exercise or play rugby so i haven't played much rugby at all this uh this season you're missing it yeah, I went back a few weeks ago and played a couple of games. I got man of the match two weeks on the bounce, so I was pretty happy with that. Um, but yeah, man, there's something about it, man. Just just like that feeling. Yeah. When we were speaking about like keeping your brain active and stuff like that, my dad played until he was 52. Like his body's in bits now <laughs> but that's the disclaimer isn't it it's amazing but by the time you're 50 you're fucked yeah but it's like it's like they're one of those things that that like that another thing in, in performance level right you, you it doesn't matter how good a player you are if your headspace isn't right that can mm-hmm. sometimes completely throw off your game much like singing mm-hmm. you know um it, it's it's one of those it's like any kind of performance it just keeps your brain ticking in a different way yeah. than like solving an equation or you know um, f- you know figuring out what you're going to cook for dinner or something like that. It's it's there's something about it that you know gives you a different. It's a different whole equation to figure out. You know where who you're passing the ball to, where's yeah. the space, what deci- what split second decision are you going to make? And we make the same we make the same kind of decisions when we're performing on stage. Yeah, like. How are you going to react to that audience member? How are you going to bounce off what someone did in their jazz solo? Are you going to, you know, what are you going to bring into your scat, you know, off the back of that? 
it's it's all these kind of last minute decisions. Yeah. No, I can definitely see that what you're saying about the similarities yeah. there. It's uh I mean you're not you're not like gonna run into your your pianist, you know, you're not yeah. gonna bowl them over and give them a fat hand off in the face. <laughs> if they, there are differences. <laughs> so, I think one of the differences for me actually between the performance aspect is I'm def I was definitely more scared to be on the rugby pitch than I was in front of like a few thousand people singing. I don't. I don't know what it was. Just before like, kickoff. Just before kickoff, man. Mate, Fuck. even before, even after the half. Yeah. That that first kick. You're scared of something. You don't know what it is, but you're scared There's of it. There's something there. Yeah. I think it's the first. Your body's getting ready for that first collision. A, a fight. It's, isn't a pri- it? it's a primal. Yeah. But that that that's a whole nother game. Like being in the change rooms before a game and getting like properly psyched up mm. into a different headspace entirely. That that's different to singing. Oh yeah. Because you don't go out there like also, yeah. <laughs> frothing at the mouth when you're <laughs> wanting to sing to people. <laughs> you yeah. might for meatloaf. Yeah, but... <laughs> meatloaf. Yeah, for sure. Um, but there, I think that I, I'd have to disagree with you on that because mm. I've definitely done gigs where I've almost had a half-time chat. Yeah. And you, you know, you've done your first set. The audience is a bit lukewarm, especially if you're like in a theatre or you know a little. Let's say, um, let's say Dean Street. Um, Pizza Express mm-hmm. the audience is a bit soft in the first half you realise that you're not doing your chat the best it's like maybe the bassist is a little bit behind you know nothing. nothing's clicking properly right and you're, you're going into the half you know down seven points right with the audience mm-hmm. you know? and I've done, I've been like I've definitely been get yourself like, psyched come get, on yeah. lads let's just go in let's just go into this next half of the gig <laughs> We're talking about gigs, by the way. Uh, let's go to this next half of the gig and just give it everything. Like we're here, we're here to play. Yeah, and it's the same phrase that you get in a rugby game. We're here to play. That is just yeah. enjoy, enjoy yourself. I as soon as people enjoy themselves, all that, so and you get the audience on side. You know, mm-hmm. all of that. It all comes. I can definitely relate to that. For for me, it's the 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 I'm more scared playing rugby. I think I don't know what it was, but something mm. was a bit more terrifying. And I I feel like maybe it's because I've gotten older and a bit more mature. But I feel I have this thing where if I'm going out to a big audience, like uh, the most I've done is three thousand, right? Before I go out to somewhere like that, I have this thing. It was like, well, I'm not going to die. <laughs> I literally say that to myself. I literally, I'm there. I'm like, well, I'm not. I'm not going to die. But rugby, oh, you well, you, you can't say that. You, you can't walk onto <laughs> yeah, the pitch. Yeah, be, um, you're actually going to get nailed by someone. Yeah, on, on, one um, tackle on the wrong side of a hip. Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah, that's a fair point, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take that phrase though. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to die though. Yeah, it really helps me. It really helps because that on the big bigger events. Inevit- it doesn't matter who you are inevitably you're going to get like a bit nervous before a big time yeah. show and um, there are a few things that I like I've got to try and control that mindset especially if you're not prepared enough I remember doing mm. shows where it's like they've given you a bunch of sh- uh, songs to do and it's like you've got to learn this within two days yeah. 10 songs and and if you're not prepared enough and you're going out on that stage that's when you've got to really like control the, the headspace that, those are some of the hardest points when, especially if you're like depping yeah. you're filling in and it's like actual arrangements yeah it's all well and good coming in and doing like a busker jazz type thing yeah but if you've got arrangements that you need to now you're also working with other singers you've got to hit some harms mm. and you're not ready <laughs> those are the, that is the, the that's a make it or break it yeah area I think for singers at that point what's the phrase you've got a um, strong and wrong 
strong and wrong. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like, you need to put all that doubt to one side. You have to. You know that you have the ability to nail it even even when you don't necessarily have everything down because you haven't been given the time or who knows, maybe you just didn't, you just didn't commit enough time and you, that's your fault. That's on you, right? But now there's nothing can be changed. Yeah. You've got to go out there and just kill it. Mm-hmm. And if you can make up for it in other areas, whether that's energy, whether that's just like bigging people up or just making the right last minute decisions, backing out of that one harm you're not quite sure of, <laughs> but you know it's going to sound better even if you're not involved in it. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you've got you to make those, those choices. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mate, it's honestly, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. No, it's been it's great. It's been though. really good getting to know your journey and sort Thanks, of man. where you come from, what you're doing, and where can they find you on social media? Oh, you can find me at, at Richard Hadders on Instagram uh, and Twitter, and then just type in Richard Hadfield on Facebook and YouTube, and you'll get the, the various links and all that kind Perfect. of stuff. Um, I reckon yeah. that's a good, good place to, to end it. Yeah, man. It's been a Thank pleasure. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thanks for having me on. <laughs>